Susie, I was expecting you today to be wearing a leotard. Mmm, a bit chilly. A bit chilly for a leotard. But I know where you're going. Leotard is an eponym. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, leotard is an eponym. And uh, an eponym is essentially um, a word that uh, originated in somebody's name. Yeah. And we love it, you and I, the leotard, because we first met recording a television programme in Britain, Countdown. And it's a words and numbers game, but very often the letters that are chosen at random seem to end up spelling the word leotard. Hmm. So I think it became the most popular eponym One ever. of the most popular, and one of, the, uh, one of those that was guaranteed to make the then host, Richard Whiteley, uh, guffaw with laughter and throw his hands up in joy. So it's got very special memories for me. So a leotard is named after the gymnast, tightrope walker... Yes, the trapeze artist, uh, Jules Léotard. Jules Léotard, was he a Frenchman? He was French. Uh, sorry, that's terrible. I never put on a fake French accent and that one was particularly bad. Um, yes, he was. Now, he was uh, the original, uh, what, was the, what was it? The daring young man on the flying trapeze. Oh. He was the inspiration for that. Um, and uh, yes, so he developed the art of the trapeze. That, that is probably what he should be best known for. But because he loved that one-piece gym wear... That now bears his name. That's fantastic. So he's given his name to the language, the leotard. There's the Wellington boot, of course, named after the Duke of Wellington. My favourites are undoubtedly the Hungarian, Laszlo Biro, Mm -hmm. also pronounced Baro, who invented the ballpoint pen. The American, William Hoover, who was the guy who pioneered the vacuum cleaner, the Hoover. Mm -hmm. But my favourite is another Frenchman, the Frenchman who designed the first sandals suitable for the beach, Philippe Fallop. Philippe 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 I love it I love it I love it but the others are real (laughs) the others are real just while you were uh, making jokes about flip-flops I was thinking about modern eponyms because there aren't actually that many you were talking about the Hoover there's of course Dyson but you wouldn't necessarily say well I suppose you might but I'll get the Dyson out it's a bit pretentious to say that possibly still so it's quite interesting I'm not sure how many modern eponyms I can think of. I know for a while, doing Adelia went into the dictionary. Um, So if you were following a particular recipe, you would do Adelia. And also, I remember distinctly hearing someone say, ooh, it's a bit Tarantino around here. Oh, a bit Tarantino, meaning it's a bit... It feels a little bit sinister, a bit of a loaded atmosphere. But I haven't heard that again. So it's it's sort of, I, I'm a celebrity, get me in the dictionary. It's not really working so far. But are eponyms significant? Are they important? Well, they are, because I think for any lover of words and any lover of English, they tell so many fascinating stories and we pass them by, like, you know, so, so often. Um, and we don't sort of investigate their history. So you might hear about um, a crane, for example, called um, a derrick. Oh, Derek. Uh, yeah, sort of hoisting. D-E-R-R-I-C-K. Yes, you might see it on board a, uh, a ship, etc. Uh, but you may not know that actually, and there was a once notorious Elizabethan hangman who uh, was called Mr. Derek. And he essentially was obviously such a sort of black figure in the in the popular imagination that it became used generically for a gallows and then by extension for anything that was sort of a hoist. So um, pretty dark history, that one. Before we go any further, you are listening to Something Rhymes with Purple with me, Susie Gent, and Giles Brandreth sitting opposite me. We are sitting face to face and we're talking eponyms. We are. Is the Mars bar an eponym? No, I don't think it is. I think there were lots of planetary chocolates, weren't there? Milky Way, Galaxy, etc. Ah, I got you. Got you. Got you. Got you. I have no Uh, idea. uh, 
Mars, mm. you may have to check this, I think Mars is called Mars not because of the planets at all. Mm. I think Mars is called Mars because Mr. Mars was the person who uh, had the chocolate company. Well, and he well named right. the bar after himself. Okay. So take a look at that one. Um, I am typing Mars bar eponym. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yes, Forrest Mars Senior in Slough. In 1930, I had no idea that Slough was famous for the Mars Bar either. You were correct. That is an eponym. I had no idea. Well, let's do a little bit of a quiz. I hope we can do that. Have you got a list of eponyms there? Uh, Yes, I have got some for you. Okay. See if I can guess them and see if people uh, listening to the podcast can get them before we can. All right. What about Silhouette? Silhouette, yes. This is a Frenchman, I think. Something to do with the French Revolution. And he would cut out images of people before they were beheaded during the French Revolution. Gustave Silhouette? Interesting. Interesting. I hadn't heard that particular side of the story. No, he was called Etienne de Silhouette. Est- Etienne de Silhouette. More, huh? more bad French accents. And he, uh, well, there's two, two theories. He was the finance minister, apparently, and loved austerity. Sound familiar? And he um, essentially was well into political economising. So one theory is that uh, people... Uh, and their money became a shadow of their former selves. So that's that's ah. one thing. So he wasn't the per- he didn't actually cut no, out well, silhouettes. No, well that's the himself. other theory is that he himself actually um loved making silhouettes. I haven't heard the sort of silhouettes of his victims though. Well, because I don't think he was an executioner. No. Directly anyway. But rather like Madame Tussaud, who genuinely I think would take um images of people's heads after they'd just been executed, do a wax mm-hmm. model of them. Yeah, she did, yeah. I, th- I thought the silhouette was down there by the tumbrils as the heads were falling off oh, with his scissors doing little profiles. No, I didn't make the finance minister, so I yeah. doubt that he was sitting there unless he was incredibly bloodthirsty. But this is interesting. But so, this is why, you see, this is why it's so fascinating because there's still so much detective work to be to be done. Lovely. So we've got names. Etienne de Silhouette who gave us the silhouette. Give us another yeah, one. Yeah, okay, this is one of my favourites. What do I get for that out of, out of five? Do I get two points? You get a cup of tea. Thank you. Maverick. Maverick. This is American. Mm, it's one of my favourite stories. Well, tell us the story then, because okay. I, I loosely remember it, but get it right. OK, well, this is a 19th century cattle owner called Samuel Maverick, and he became famous for refusing to brand his cattle, which was obviously the done thing. Um, again, sort of, you know, lot, lots of uh, theories, but it's thought that his cattle just sort of wandered free, much to the annoyance of his neighbours. And because he didn't do things the prescribed way uh, and was seen as a little bit eccentric, if not downright stubborn, he became known as a maverick. And, interesting, I think it was his son or his nephew, I think it was his son, uh, gave us the word gobbledygook. Good grief. Um, yes. Oh, but what okay. a family the Mavericks family. were. No, no, you must explore this. I love it. Well, he so, wasn't called Gobbledygook, obviously, but he just thought that no, that... What a great name. <laughs> he thought that sounded like the um, the sort of meaningless babble of geese. And uh, so he said it sounds like Gobbledygook. And this was young young Maverick? Yeah, this was Maverick Jr. Maverick Jr. gave us Gobbledygook. Yeah. Some people think, why, why am I... Couldn't, shouldn't I be leaving a life here? Couldn't I be reading a book? Why am I listening to a podcast? Now you know. Now you... <laughs> You know, Maverick was a cowboy who wouldn't brand his cattle, uh, but he bred a son, and the son gave us the word gobbledygook. This has been worth getting up this morning. You live and learn. Then, of course, you die and forget it all. But in the interim, how pleased you must be to be listening to Something Rhymes With Purple with Susie Dent and Giles Bradworth. Challenge me to another. Okay. I, though I know nothing, I'm loving your answers. Uh, well, this is one perhaps for slightly older listeners, because um, I'm not sure it's used that much these days. <sighs> 
slightly older listeners, both Susie and I are on tour at the moment doing stage shows and we're going to a lot of the same theatres. My show is called Break a Leg. And what is your show called? Mine's called The Secret Life of Words. The Secret Life of Words. And she is revealing the secret life of words like um, Maverick and Gobbledygook. But uh, on the tickets, it often says... You know, uh, age, you know, 16 plus or 12 oh, yes. plus. Yes. Does it say anything like that on your tickets? Well, it has to be, yes, it has to be 18 plus because there's, there's a little bit of swearing in there. I do the history of swearing. We've, we've done swearing, haven't we? We have. Oh, so, yeah. oh fuck yeah, me, we have. We certainly <laughs> so have. I do so it says 18 plus. Bit. I think it says 18 plus or the equivalent of PG. 18 plus. Well, rather amusingly, wherever I was the other day, my wife said, have you seen the tickets? What it said on the tickets. You know, I thought, is it going to be 12 plus? Is it going to be 14 plus? 60 plus. <laughs> and when I looked out at my audience, they all were. Oh, so, I like that. you now say we've got something for um, older oh, yeah, Possibly older for older listeners. Older listeners. Hobson's Choice. <gasps> yes, Hobson's Choice. There is a play of that name okay. by Harold Brighouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather a wonderful play, which I saw performed at the National Theatre shortly after it opened in the 1960s with Sir Michael Redgrove playing the part of Hobson. Oh, amazing. There is a film version of this play with Charles Lawton in oh, the role. He did Galileo. He's a he great... He's one of my heroes. He, he, is a, he is a heroic actor. Yes. But I imagine Hobson's Choice is called Hobson's Choice because the phrase already existed. Nothing to do with the Hobson Jobson? No, nothing to do with the Hobson Jobson dictionary. Uh, well, to just explain, Hobson's choice essentially uh, means the option of taking the one thing offered or nothing. So it's it's kind of all or nothing. Really. Oh, rather like some people would have said that the what was on offer from the European Union over the Brexit negotiations was a Hobson's choice. Yes, there's no choice at all. Essentially. There's no choice. Ah, Hobson's choice. And yes. who was Hobson? Well, he was Tobias Hobson. So he was a Cambridge carrier who let out horses and he is said to have insisted that his customers take the horse which happened to be next to the stable door uh, because they were the freshest or to go without and so it became he it that became known as Hobson's choice you, and it's you had actually, to take that horse and it's like London cabs to this day yeah, they make you the go to the one at the, the first one in the queue Quite it's a Hobson's right. choice you have even if you don't like that look of the first one you want the second one no no Hobson's choice Quite so right. he was called Tobias Hobson he was called Tobias Hobson. I indeed. mentioned Hobson Jobson. Yes. Who was Hobson Jobson? I yeah. Well, he produced the Anglo-Indian Dictionary, didn't he? I don't actually know who he was. Ah, Hobson um, Jobson, and it's a, it's like a turn of phrase. Or Hobson Jobson. Uh, there probably wasn't a um, a Jobson. It's just a, it comes oh, from yes. Henry Yule and Arthur Coke Burnell. Why it was called Hobson Jobson? Uh, in Anglo-Indian English, it referred to any festival or entertainment. Um, it is a corruption, we think, by British shoulders of Yahosen. I'm not sure I'm repeating this properly, but uh, it was repeatedly chanted by the Shia Muslims as they mourned and beat their chests. Oh, wonderful. Ooh. A sound like there Hobson Jobson. Hobson Jobson. Yes. Hobson Jobson. Anyway, this was not exactly an eponym, but fascinating nonetheless. I but love our little diversions. I, good, I love a diversion. Life is a series of cul-de-sacs, but then yes. you hit the main road and eventually you hit the buffers. OK, give me one more. I'm liking this. OK, this is an obvious one, but I love it anyway. Caesarean section. Caesarean section, named after Julius Caesar, yes. the Roman geezer. Yes. Had a nose like a lemon squeezer. Did he? Well, when I was at school, there was a poem that went along those lines. Julius Caesar, Roman geezer, 
No, squash his nose in a lemon squeezer. Something like that. Anyway. It probably didn't happen one way or the other. I wouldn't worry too much. Julius Caesar, was he born by caesarean section? That's the folk belief. I have to say that that is what the OED believes as well, uh, that he himself was delivered this way. And, of course, it was made famous by um, uh, Shakespeare. For those who have led sheltered lives, uh, what exactly is a caesarean section? A caesarean section is um, childbirth whereby the baby is delivered through um, an incision into the womb, I think, rather than... They cut you open to bring the baby out. And you mentioned... Shakespeare's play, mm-hmm. um, which is known as the Scottish play because it's supposed to be bad luck to say the word Macbeth. It's supposed to be uh, bad luck to say the title of the play unless you're actually in the play at the time. Um, and in the, the one of the prophecies of the witches is that uh, he won't be killed, he can't be killed by except by anyone who is by mother born or something. He was untimely ripped. And he That's was unti- Macduff, isn't it? Untimely ripped, ripped from, from his, his mother's womb. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so he does end up, Macbeth does end up being killed. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Cesarean section, that's good. One okay. more. Okay. A Mickey Finn. A Mickey Finn. It's an eponym, is it, I suppose, if there was a real Mickey Finn. Yes. Well, it's said to be a notorious Chicago bartender who drugged and robbed his customers. Oh, so it's a very strong drink. It knocks you out. I have a Mickey Finn. Yes, I think be careful with that one. Next. This is an area that I'm fascinated by, but I'm not sure they fall strictly into the category of being pure eponyms um, because people have lent their names to expressions, but we don't know who they were. So not on your Nelly. That's a really old-fashioned British expression, meaning not on your life. Yeah, not on your life. Not on your Nelly. Not on your Nelly. In the 19th century, Nelly Duff was rhyming slang for puff. So not on your puff was like not on your breath of life, not on your life. So it's a fairly complicated bit of rhyming slang. But we don't know who Nellie Duff was, sadly. Oh. I mean, indeed, maybe she didn't exist. Likewise, I just add to that one in terms of who we, you know, people who are are now um, anonymous, sadly, although they live on through language, uh, was somebody called um, Tommy Grant. Tommy Grant became a nickname in Australia for um, an immigrant, uh, notably British immigrants. And that in turn became Pommy Grant because people arriving in um, on the Australian shores, if they were British, particularly in fair skinned, would be as red as a pomegranate. So it became Pommy Grant. And finally, so the ended poms? Up as poms. Yes. Oh, but that is... This... Susie Dent, you are on fire, if I may say so. <laughs> I never knew that the origin of the pom being, as it were, the Brit who goes to Australia, Mm. came from pomegranate, which came from Tommy Grant. Tommy Grant. Tommy Grant gives you pomegranate, gives you the pom. Yes. Not an acronym for uh, prisoner of Her Majesty's service because of deportees. Uh, But yes, lovely story. Let's have a quick break. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. 
We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to (laughs) pretend that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. What I'm interested in are the words that have slipped into the language, like silhouette and leotard, Mm -hmm. where there is no clue in the word, that it was once a person. I'll give you one. I find that mesmerising. Okay. Oh, very nice. Franz Mesmer. Who was he? Well, he gave us the sort of precursor to hypnotism, really, because he believed in an invisible natural force, a kind of animal magnetism that exists in all of us. And he uh, saw in it sort of amazing healing properties. Um, But I think by some countries even, he was seen as a bit of a quack, and uh, and so had to sort of move on um, in order to uh, practice elsewhere, as far as I remember. But it's extraordinary, I think, to be somebody who lived maybe 150 years ago, whose name has just entered the language. People mm. talk about somebody being mesmeric, yes, mesmerising a moment. It, it's a phenomenon. I, I, I've got one for you as well. Oh yes, nicotine. Do you know where that one comes from? That does ring a bell. Nicotine. Yes. François de Nicotine. He was essentially a French diplomat who lived in very, sort of very late 16th century. Uh, Jean Nicot, he was called. Um, He was an ambassador to Lisbon, but he is famous because he became convinced of the healing powers of tobacco um, from a friend of his who was a botanist. Um, And apparently the application of the tobacco plant worked absolute wonders. They tried it on tumours, etc. And it was wonderful. Catherine de Medici... Uh, Queen of France treated her migraines with it, etc. So nicotine was was found, or tobacco was found to be this sort of ama- how different, amazingly therapeutic plant. But this is extraordinary, isn't yeah. it? I mean, there we are, nicotine. People thought it was a wonderful cure all when mm. it began, and this man had his has given his name to nicotine in the First World War, and I believe in the Second World War too. They gave cigarettes to the soldiers, sure. didn't they, for health reasons of to course. calm them down, to soothe them. It's a panacea as well. Yeah, here's a cigarette, and it's obviously a killer. Well, speaking of which, I when I bought my car last, I only buy a car once in a generation because I'm very caring of the environment. So once in a generation, I buy a car. When I last bought a car, we were being told to buy diesel cars because diesel fuel was good for the planet. And now I'm being told I did this for the sake of my country and now I'm going to be punished for buying a diesel car. But diesel was a person, wasn't he? Yes. Was it Rudolf? Rudolf Diesel. I think he was the red-nosed reindeer. (laughs) He was a German engineer, Rudolf Diesel, who famously, I think died mysteriously uh, by falling from a ship. He disappeared from a ship. Uh, That's my memory. I may be wrong. So do please correct us uh, to anyone who's listening to Something Rhymes with Purple because we would love to hear from you. We would, actually. Do let us know. I mean, I say we'd love to hear from them. Do we want to hear from them? Do we want to deal with correspondence? We do. I do. Oh, fine. So if you don't mind, uh, email Susie Dent, whatever, um, or text her, or um, uh, what's the other thing that people do now? Tweet. 
tweet, 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 tweet. I meant tweet. I meant tweet. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm at Giles B one at Giles B one G Y L E S B one. Are you on Twitter? Yes, I'm at Susie underscore Dent. But we should really be on um, Instagram or something, shouldn't we? I don't really do pictures. And, oh, don't you? We're being hurried along by the producer. Um, He's a bit of a dunce. He's not a dunce. Paul is not a dunce. But where, yes, where does the word dunce, dunce come from? Scottus, yeah. Dunce Scottus, who, uh, who was Dunce Scottus? He was a friar who um, was actually probably incredibly bright uh, and slightly ahead of his times. But uh, he was a reformer. And uh, was he a reformer or was he an anti-reformer? Sounds like you, you know more than me. But his his basic his philosophies were seen as being foolish and um, heretic, heretic, her- heretical. Heretical. Thank you. He was a friar, a theologian. Some people considered him a fool. Dunce Scotus, and people talked about a dunce. Yes. What about gerrymandering? Let's get a couple of these in. Yes, gerrymander. It's a combination of the name, uh, sort of top of my head, Elbridge Jerry, um, and the salamander. Uh, it was Good also grief. to do with dividing uh, districts, voting districts, in, oh. in a sort of slightly unfair way. A Victorian expression, I think, the, or yeah. maybe a little bit earlier, where you, you fiddled with the constituency to have certain people vote for you. You, you basically were indulging in gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. So the man who was doing this was Elbridge Jerry. And Salamander... A, yeah, well, he came up with a new, a new sort of division of counties that apparently, when drawn on a map, looked a bit like a salamander. One of my favourites, of course, was Amelia Bloomer. Oh, yes. Because people do give their names to clothes, don't they? Yes. Like, like jeans come from... Genoa. From Genoa. Yes. In Italy. And denim. denim comes from Dunim, the place. N-I with a little hat on the I. Those are toponyms, those. Those are toponyms. Yes. But Bloomer is Amelia Bloomer, and that's a proper eponym. Who was she? She was a blue stocking, wasn't she, as well? Could be. Yes. I thought she was a feminist pioneer. I think she was feminist. And she liked to ride a bicycle. And in order to ride a bicycle in skirts, it's quite difficult. So she pioneered wearing these um, sort of trousers, Mm -hmm. loose-fitting trousers that became named after her, bloomers. And she advocated temperance above all as well. As well as as, um, as you, rights, quite right. As you would if you're riding a bicycle, because <laughs> you don't want people falling off the bicycle. I guess that is true. Giles, if you had to uh, contribute your name to the English language, what would its definition be? A brandreth. Mm. What would a brandreth be? Well, can I tell you something? I would like it to be something gentle and lovely. I have a friend called Anthony Holden, who is a very distinguished journalist and biographer. And we were at university together, and he's a brilliant man. And recently, maddeningly, he suffered a stroke, and which has debilitated him. He's now in a wheelchair, and he can't use his left arm or left leg. But his mind is razor sharp, and he can use his right hand, so he can still carry on writing, tapping away on the computer. But he was saying to me how words... Can the way we use words is so important. And that's why you and I actually love words. And he said, you know, the word stroke. Mm. He said, actually, the word stroke is a gentle word. Mm. It's a loving word. You associate it with a caress. You stroke somebody on the cheek. You stroke them on the hand. It's a beautiful word, a gentle word. And he said, you know, what happened to me, the stroke, was anything but beautiful or gentle. And he said, you know, we call a heart attack a heart attack. And actually, a stroke is a kind of brain attack. Let's call it a yeah. brain attack. I mean, if you think about it, it's an act of striking. So its etymology is fairly hard yeah. and aggressive. But 
The idea of stroking is gentle. So the point is that we give meaning to words by the way in which we use them. And mm. so you can get a word like stroke, which can at one hand mean something beautiful and gentle, and at the other hand means something um, really quite frightening and alarming. So that leads me to brandreth. When I was a boy, I'm afraid, people used to say bad breath brandreth, to be rude. Oh. Yeah, exactly. I don't like that at all. So I want a brandreth to be the word for something that lingers in the air. Hmm. Oh, he left a lovely... <laughs> I'm laughing now. He left a lovely brandreth after him. You know, a little, a faint echo. That's a, nice. A brandreth. Like a sort of slight, a sort of particles of perfume that is somehow sort of left behind. I like that. The spirit of the person. A delightful... Yeah. Oh, there, there was something about them. Oh, he left a lovely brandreth behind him. I like that. Very nice. So what will dent be? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, well, yes, as you can tell, dent is never going to sound poetic. I think if I could donate my name to the English language, it would probably be as a synonym for linguistic gap, because linguistic gap is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, so for all those um, sensations, feelings, emotions, even things for which we have no word in English. I'd like to donate my name to that. So it might be behind a new dictionary of new words for things that we never had words for before. That's what I'd like it to be. Oh, that's very good. Yeah. We're, we're still searching for the word that it could be. Oh, I like that very much. Do you know, I've also just then made up a word plentifold, which doesn't exist. Plentifold? Um, the, the only excuse I have is that today is my first real day of hay fever and I am drugged to, to the eyeballs with some very sedating um, pills. So please forgive me if I get my words wrong. That's which okay. is not important, of course, on a web podcast. Well, it is important to get it right. Oh, I see what you mean. You're, you're being sarcastic now. <laughs> just Was, Yeah, exactly. Now, look, even though you are woozy... Yes. And drugged up to the eyeballs, I still need, because many people tune in simply to get to this last bit where you give us Susie's trio. Three yes. words to surprise us, three words that we want to relish and take away as our, our takeaway. What do people call that when you go to a conference and they say, we'd like you to give the people something... What do they call it? Yeah, takeaway messages. And takeaway messages. Mm. Well, what are the takeaway words? Instantly disposable, that's what these are. Um, but they are great words. Um, they don't really have anything to do with eponyms, I have to say. They're just three words I, that I like. One is a Victorian word for an umbrella, which is a bumbershoot. A bumbershoot. Yes. I love it. How does, it, how does bumbershoot come bumber up? With you? Um, I think just bumber because it sounds a little bit like a child's representation of umbrella and a shoot as in parachute, I guess, although it's spelled S-H-O-O-T. I guess it's shaped like a parachute. So I like that, a bumbershoot. My second word, just because it's so beautiful, we've been mentioning quite a few French words today, is chatoyant. 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 I guess it would be chatoyant in English, which you really don't want because it doesn't sound nearly so nice. So it's C-H-A-T-O-Y-A-N-T. Mm -hmm. And it means of iridescent shimmering luster, like a cat's eye in the dark. Oh, I beautiful? like that. I just think it's a beautiful word. And my third one, cannot accuse you of this, but we can accuse many uh, politicians of it, I think, is batology. Heard of that one? No, what is okay. batology? Batology is needless and tiresome repetition in speaking or writing. So loathsome repetition is batology. Batology, banging yes. on, batology. Yes. So something is batological. It's really tediously repetitive. Do you think it's affected you being called Susie Dent? 
as a person because I think no. people there is research that shows that people's names do affect how they behave. Okay. I'm sure nominative I, determinism is that what it means? Yeah, well, you might have an aptronym if yes. you were like, like, like there's a judge called Judge Judge. Yes, you know, and the cardinal, famous cardinal of Milan was called um, of Manila was called Cardinal Sin, <laughs> <laughs> but he behaved himself. Um, okay, but people's names do often lead yes. to. Yes, uh, I can't say that happened to me. But Susie Dent is there? I mean, it's have not you felt, great. Is it's it? not great. And no. Brandreth isn't great. Actually, it's a dreadful name. Uh, I met Roy Rogers when I was a little boy. You know who I mean by Roy Rogers? Uh, reminds me. Roy Rogers was a cowboy. Okay, and um, he was a very—he was a hugely famous cowboy, and uh, he had a—I think he had a, a, a horse. Called, did he have? Was his horse called Trigger? Oh, okay, yes. It's Does it ring far. a bell? Mm. Anyway, I discovered when I met him that his real name was Leonard Sly. And I thought, oh, this is so disappointing. I mean, you know, um, he had been called, he called himself when he began as a cowboy, Dick Weston, which wasn't a bad name. Uh, and then he, he um, somebody said he was the, the Ginger Rogers of the cowboy scene. So he changed his name to, to Roy Rogers. And he had 10 children, uh, two boys and eight girls. There was Roy Jr. And there was John. There was uh, Robin, Cheryl, Linda, Lou, Marion, Scottish Ward, Mary, Little Doe and Deborah Lee. Names do make a difference. You know, I, what are your... Have you got children, haven't you? I do. Have they got simple names? Uh, quite simple. Uh, Lucy. That's oh, I like that. Lift. Lucy meaning light? Light from Lux, yes, in, in Latin. Lux. You say Lux from Latin. People think of it as a soap. She's <laughs> named after, after a soap suds. Um, Lucy? And Thea. Thea? Yes. Thea. Thought that he had not got a lisp. She doesn't have doesn't a lisp. No. Well, because um, I say that. I have a daughter called Scythrid. Oh, gosh. Yeah, can you imagine? Yes. Ne- never mind fear. Scythrid. Scythrid was the daughter, I think, of King Anna, sounds... the king of the East Angles. Yeah, it sounds Anglo-Saxon. My, my wife came up with all these names for our children. So we have Scythrid. We have Bennett, B-E-1-N-E-T, as he says, who wants to spend their whole life going around being called Benet? And Afra. A-P-H-R-A. Gosh. Which is a great name. fancy names. Afra is a great name. Afra Ben, B-E-H-N, was the first woman to earn her living as a writer. Excellent. Excellent. Anyway, we've had a lot of fun, haven't we? We have. Thank you so much for listening to our meanderings. Um, I would just say, if you have enjoyed this, please, please spread the word. Um, That would mean a lot to us. So give us a review or rate us. And if you didn't like it, fuck off. (laughs) Who makes all this? Uh, this is a something else production. Funny you should mention that. Produced by Paul Smith. Paul Smith, can you imagine being called Paul Smith all your life? Paul Smith. Great clothes maker. Great clothes Thanks maker. Sake, and Smith. also the man who produced um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is called Paul Smith. Oh, really? And let's not forget Russell Finch. Russell Finch. Steve who Ackerman. wants to be called Russell Finch at and a pinch? Josh it's Finch. Gibbs. Steve Ackerman. Josh Gibbs. That isn't bad. Named after a toothpaste. And Gully. Let's not forget Gully. Who's Gully? Uh, who, Gully is there in the studio, uh, just over there, through the glass. People may feel Short they're rather... Gulliver, which is just the best name ever. Some people listening to this may feel that to have had one, two, three, four, five, six people behind the microphone... Is overkill? Two in front of the microphone is overkill. <laughs> we may be talking about the origins of roadkill next time.